Paul teaches us how to win, how to be more than conquerors. The key is to be committed to the goal, which is to know Christ, the means of my own resurrection. If we're not sure of the win, we'll not be able to persevere or fight or win. If heaven with Christ is not your goal, then why bother fighting? We want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. How you live your life now matters to God. Winning at life brings us to the ultimate win, eternal life. What area of our lives need our attention? Here's Pastor Allen. My wardrobe change. So folks, uh, we have been talking about getting strong and staying strong. And we've been talking about uh, the battles of life. And I just want to remind everybody that life is a battle. And it starts the moment you take your first breath. A few weeks back, I said, did you ever see a baby smiling and waving to mom and dad as they came out of the womb? <laughs> Hi, Ma. It's, she, that little baby's crying and screaming and red in the face. And uh, every bit of its body is quivering. We, uh, we fight to walk. We fight to speak. We fight to learn. We do battle in the sandbox. We do battle with our brothers and our sisters. We do battle when we ride our first bike. We battle in school to do well, at least well enough to pass. <laughs> We're, uh, life's a battle, and we battle in our homes to get along and obey parents, and then we get married, and we have careers, and uh, we, we have to manage finances, and if we are married, we have to manage in-laws, we've got to manage kids, and old age, the whole thing's a battle. So if anybody tells you that life is not a battle, then, you know, you need to get away from that person because they're insane. They don't know what they're talking about. Life is difficult. It's why the psalmist called life a veil of tears, a valley of tears. And of course, you know, the biggest battle we face is a spiritual battle. Will I resist temptation? Will I stay true to Christ? Will I fulfill his commands to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? And will I love others as I love myself? Will I maintain my faith and my commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ? So if life is a battle, the question next then is how do I win this battle called life? How do I win it? And I've got to tell you, right from the very beginning of the Scripture, starting in Genesis chapter 3, we see this. We see that, that life is a battle. So how do we win this battle? Well, this morning I want to talk about that, how to win this battle called life. And the Apostle Paul teaches us how to win. How to be more than conquerors. You've heard that expression, haven't you? Paul says in, in Romans chapter 8, we are more than conquerors. So we don't just, we're not just conquerors, we are more than conquerors, which means that, that uh, we don't just sort of, sort of just get through by the skin of our teeth, as my, my grandfather would say. It means that we come through victorious with joy, with shouting, with rejoicing. Hallelujah. Well, I can tell I'm not in Africa. If I say hallelujah, everybody says? Amen. Oh, that's, that's not bad, I guess. Thomas, I need your help. Help me out here, okay, brother? The key to winning at life is to understand what the win is. How do you know you've won? Now, has anybody ever heard of spongy? 
Uh, I, I checked Wikipedia, and it said, here's what it says. Spongy, or sponge hockey, is a cult sport played almost exclusively in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. So we're famous. It's played by thousands of players in dozens of leagues. And I gotta tell you, when I was growing up, we played uh, spongy on the street. Basically what it is, if you uh, don't know what I'm talking about, hockey sticks, but instead of a hard puck, we've got a sponge puck, so it doesn't hurt. But anybody that's ever played spongy knows it hurts. Um, and what we would do is we'd get, on our, uh, get out with our, uh, just without skates, just our shoes, and we would take a couple of chunks of ice or snow, set up our goal posts, and, uh, and, and here's the thing. Uh, you had to have goalposts because you had to know when you scored. Now, here's what I remember very clearly about Spongy. If we were not keeping score, if there was no sense of a win, then we, we lost interest really quick. But if we were one team against another and we're scoring goals and there was a clear sense that, that somebody could win this thing, we could literally play Spongy for hours on end. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You, 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 any guys, anybody, am I the only one that ever played Spongy? There's a few people that have played it. So you understand that. You understand that, that a game is, loses its fun if there's not a sense of a win. I'm going to tell you right now that when it comes to serving God, when it comes to this Christian life, and it comes to winning in life, then you and I need to understand what the win is. How do I know that I've, I'm, I'm actually winning at this? How do I know that I'm not falling behind? How do I know that I'm not losing? Well, we pointed out... <laughs> that we're all doing battle all the time. And the question is this, uh, how do we know when we're winning? At the end of my life, how do I know that I've won? Because I can tell you this, as a pastor now for over 33 years, I've been uh, at the uh, bedside of many a person who is breathing their last breath, who, uh, who's very close to heaven's door. And the conversation that I have with all of them is, is almost always the same. The conversation always, always focuses on, on a person's relationship with God and the relationship with their family. They talk about, about where they're at and whether they're ready to meet the Lord or not. We know that we are winning at life. We know that we have won at life. If at the end of life... We are prepared to meet the Lord. We're prepared to see him, to, to see him face to face. We know that we have lived the life that Jesus has called us to live. So let's talk a moment about the Christian win. And then what I'd like to do is talk to you further about the strategy to win. So let's talk about this. Uh, one of the very first times uh, Americans over the age of 12 saw Miley Cyrus was on an Oprah Winfrey show. She was 14 years old, and it was a question and answer period. And uh, she was uh, asked what her favorite Bible verse was. Because everybody at that time, when little Miley Cyrus was just 14 years old, they knew that she was growing up in a Christian home, that she loved the Lord. And so she said, here's my favorite scripture verse, Ephesians 6, 10 to 11. And it's this. Finally, my brothers, and she quoted it. Finally, my brothers, put on, uh, come close to the Lord. For if you put on the full armor of God, you can stand against the wiles of the devil. So here's a young woman and her family who didn't understand what the win is because we know how things have turned out for Miley Cyrus. If anybody has seen her in the last few years, you really, it really looks like somebody who's become completely unhinged. I think that's the nicest way I can put it. 
Uh, we're, obviously, we're not judging her, condemning her, or putting her down, but we recognize that the way that she's living her life is certainly not in keeping with a Christian lifestyle. So five years ago, Billy Ray Cyrus, Miley's dad, was interviewed by the GQ magazine. And, and he believed, this is what he said, he believed that his Christian faith could carry them through uh, all the temptations that come with the, with the celebrity that they were enjoying. And some of you know that uh, Miley Cyrus is, is not just a multimillionaire, she's a billionaire from her celebrity. So in 2011, here's what he told GQ magazine. He said that he deeply regrets the decision to let his daughter become a child celebrity. He says the decision destroyed his family, and if he could, he'd take it back in a second. Here's somebody who didn't understand what the win is. And I think for so many of us, especially I'm looking at young people right now, uh, looking at the young people and, and talking about the win. For many of you, you think the win is making, getting a good job, maybe making lots of money, becoming famous, becoming a famous actor, a singer. Uh, it's interesting because when I was growing up, they asked you, what do you want to do when you grow up? It was, I want to be a policeman. I want to be a fireman. I want to be something like that. Now it's, I want to be an actor. I want to be a singer. I want to be famous. I want to make lots of money. We have believed what our culture says the win is. I know I've won if I can make a lot of money, if I can have a lot of power, if I can, if I can have a, a lot of fame. If you think of someone like Alice Cooper, grew up in a Baptist pastor's house, a famous rocker for my generation and older. Some of you have heard of the Jonas Brothers. Again, father was a pastor, but saw an opportunity to put his boys on to stardom. Katy Perry, I kissed a girl and I liked it. Jessica Simpson, another pastor's kid. Justin Bieber grew up in actually one of our Pentecostal churches, our sister church down in Ontario. All these people who think the win in life is, is to become famous, to make lots of money, to, uh, to have my fame and my fortune. Because that's what our culture tells us is the win. But you need to understand this, and I need to understand that the win in life is not what the world says a win is. The win in, in the life of the believer is defined quite differently. So I want to invite you to look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. And here's what the Apostle Paul says. Apostle Paul, by the way, uh, the Apostle Paul, he says, if, if anybody is famous and powerful and has got it all together, if anybody has a reason to be proud and a reason to uh, sing his own praises, he says, it's me. I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a, I'm a Pharisee. I keep the law without breaking the law. He says, uh, I, I persecuted the church with zeal like nobody else. He says, I was a Jew among Jews. There's nobody like me. But since his conversion, he's discovered that there is, in fact, a new win. And, of course, a lot of you know this, but we need to be reminded of it. So here's what it says here in uh, Philippians chapter 3. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And he goes on to say, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear friends, 
No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And so you quickly understand what the Apostle Paul is driving at. He's saying all the things that our culture tells us is a win is, in fact, not a win. What is a win is that he knows Christ and that he fellowships with Christ in his suffering. Now, that is really foreign to our ear in 2016, isn't it? Can you imagine a TV preacher saying, hey, send money to our ministry and you can suffer too? Nobody wants to be part of that. Who wants to be part of a Christianity that promises suffering? And yet, this is what Jesus promises, and this is what the Apostle Paul points out as being his goal. Very interesting. So the win for the Christian is to know Christ, that is to know his will and his purpose for my life, and to know the mighty power of the resurrection. Why? So that one day, one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now, can you just stop for a moment and look at me for a moment? Because here's what, here's what you and I need to remember in the year 2016, because we've gotten away from this, is that we are eternal beings. Did, did you hear what I said? We are eternal beings. We are, we are not what we would call temporal beings. This is what our culture wants to tell us. This is what society wants to tell us, that we live our life, we die, and it's over. As Christians, we believe that when we die, we will face the Lord. We will face what we call the judgment day, and we will have to give an account for how we lived our lives. This is Christian doctrine 101. The Apostle Paul tells us clearly that when he stands before the Lord, he wants to be ready to meet the Lord. He wants to be prepared to experience resurrection from the dead. Now, this is the win, and I'm going to talk about this more in just a moment. But I'm going to tell you this, if we're not sure what the win is in this Christian life, I'm going to tell you right now, you will not be able to persevere. You will not be able to hang in there. You will not be able to fight the good fight. You will not be able, in fact, to win. Can I tell you something, young people especially? This is why. It's for this reason. This, this understanding that someday I would have to give an account to God. Someday I would stand before Jesus and give an account for my life. It's for this reason I regulated the way I lived my life. Was I perfect? No, I wasn't perfect. But I can tell you that whatever I did, I was aware of the fact that Jesus Christ was my Savior and that God was watching every move I made. Tony Campolo, some of you may have heard of him, he said... He learned a little song at Sunday school. He said, be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Because there's a father up above who's looking down in love. So be careful, little hands, what you do. He said, that song absolutely ruined his dating life. <laughs> it's a fantastic thing, folks, when you stop to consider that someday you and I are going to stand before God and we will give an account as to how we have lived our lives. Now, the problem with this, of course, is that it's easy to forget this. And this is why it's so important that you go to church every Sunday where you are reminded of what your values are of the fact that someday you're going to stand before Jesus and give an account. So the Christian win is that you and I are are giving our whole lives to knowing Jesus. Our whole life. 
to following Jesus, to doing his will. So that begs another question. Well, if that's the win, how do I do it? How, how can I win this thing? Because I am so tempted by the things of this world. I, I get so distracted by, by the stuff on TV and, and what my friends are doing. Uh, just before we came home, uh, we stopped at uh, a historical place, a call, place called Bruges, um, just to decompress. And uh, we were just there for uh, uh, a couple of nights. And Denny and I were out for a walk. And we came to this, to this uh, what do you call it, a square, a massive square. And there's all these young people sitting there. And there's, they had their, their lawn chairs. They were sitting in a circle. And we're looking at this. And Denny says to me, they're up to something. These young people are doing something. Are they waiting for a concert? What's, what on earth is going on here? And so uh, me being me. I went up and I asked somebody, I asked some of the young people, I said, what on earth is everybody doing here? These kids were sitting on the steps and the group's over here. They're like, they're, I mean, there were probably hundreds of young people. And the young people said, well, they're probably playing Pokemon. <laughs> I said, Pokemon? Here, this beautiful ancient city that's almost a thousand years old, surrounded by such beauty, you're playing Pokemon? And they started to laugh. And after they laughed, they went back to it. <laughs> they didn't ask, where are you from? What are you doing here? Nice to see you. Glad you visited our country. They have more important things to do. It's amazing, isn't it? Now, I'm not condemning Pokemon, so don't go away from here thinking Pastor Allen's condemning it. But I am saying this. You and I are influenced by our culture far more than we realize. And this is the reason why you and I need to be on guard and need to make sure that you and I are, in fact, winning. That you and I are focused on living this life that Jesus Christ has called us to. If, in fact, heaven with Christ is not your goal, then my question to you is this. Why bother fighting? Why bother coming to church? Why bother being here? In fact, that's precisely what's happened with many Christians, is that they have forgotten what the win is. Remember, talked about spongy? You have to have a win. There's got to be a win or the game's no fun. Everybody goes home. And that's exactly what's happened to too many Christians. They've forgotten that this Christian life of us, of ours, is an eternal faith. It has an eternal goal. That this world is, as my grandmother kept saying over and over again when I was just a little child, she said, this world is not my home. I'm an alien. I'm a foreigner. I'm passing through. This world doesn't belong to me. I'm going to be with Jesus. This is something I heard all the time, and I didn't really understand it until I read for myself in Hebrews chapter 11. The great faith chapter, hall of faith, if you want to call it that. All these famous people in the Bible that you and I all know about. And what does it say about them? Every one of them was living in this life as a foreigner. In other words, they were looking to a better place. Can I ask everybody here today, are you looking forward to heaven? I think the older you get, the more you look forward to it. Would I get any amens there? Lil, I see you laughing there. Yes, so you, you agree with me. You begin to recognize this world is not our home. We don't belong here. We're, we're strangers here. And I don't know about you, but if you've been, I haven't watched the news now for three weeks. You know how everybody knows I'm a, I'm a news junkie. I haven't watched it for three weeks, and I can tell you since I've been home, I haven't turned it on. I don't want to know about it. I, I, I don't know what's... Maybe I got born again. I don't know. I, 
I don't want to hear about it. It's the most depressing thing. And the thing that's so depressing about it is that it's all so anti-God, anti-church, anti-Christ, anti-our faith, anti-our values. This world is not our home. And I'm going to tell you this, young people, you need to really understand this because you're the next generation. You're, carrying, you're going to be carrying the torch. You need to get this. In fact, the Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And Jesus says in his prayer, his famous prayer in John chapter 17, he says that we are called to live, to, to live in the world, but not to be of the world. Does this make sense? And so we understand that we are to stand out. We are different. And we know what the win is. The win is simply this, is that you and I have devoted our lives to knowing Christ and to knowing his will and doing it. In fact, Jesus says, if you love me, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So let me ask you this question. Have you given up on your faith? The statistics right now are dismal. I don't know if you realize this. The numbers of young people who are leaving the church, who are just quit going to church altogether, who'd rather sleep in on Sunday morning. Anybody who sleeps in on Sunday morning doesn't go to church? That's somebody who has forgotten that they are eternal beings and that someday, someday we'll stand before our Creator. Now that's not to scare you, but that's to remind you what the win is. Someday, you and I are going to stand before Jesus, and I don't know about you, but I want to have a grand entrance. I want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. What's Jesus going to say to you? Paul gives us the guidance to win. Look what it says here in Philippians 3, 13 to 14. He says this, but I focus on this one thing. So let's just stop for a moment because this gives us a clue as to what the win is. He says, I focus on this one thing. He says, this is the win. So here it is. Here's how you win. Number one, you forget the past. You look forward to what lies ahead. You press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Did you get that? Let's stop and unpack this because this is glorious. This is fantastic. Here's the one thing he does as he presses on towards the prize, as he presses on to see Jesus Christ. He says, I forget the past. Can we just take a moment here to think about that? Because here's what I know about some of you here even today. The things of your past, the bad things you've done, it still overwhelms you. It dogs you. And you really don't believe that, that the power of Jesus' blood can wash away your sins. You know what? I, I mentioned that several times in the pastor's conference. And then uh, Delson had, had me do a three, it's called Three Days of Power Conference. We mentioned it again. Every time I talked about the power of Jesus' blood to wash away our sins, everybody just erupted in praise, clapping their hands. Remember that, Janet, Denny? Remember that? The power of the blood of Jesus. And here in Winnipeg, we do nothing. <laughs> okay, I'm just teasing you a little bit. But think about it for a moment. Your past, folks, no matter what you've done, if you've come to Jesus Christ and you've asked him to forgive you of your sin, the Bible makes a promise to you that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. This is the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. It washes away our sins. This is why we sing those old hymns, or at least we used to. 
Paul's saying, I'm forgetting about the past. I'm not letting the past overwhelm me. And if anybody had a reason to be concerned about his past, it was Paul. Because it was Paul that was persecuting people and putting them to death in his zeal to stamp out the church. Rather than allowing his past to dictate his future, he says, I'm not focusing on my past. And some of us are going through life with our eyes on the rearview mirror, looking at what's gone on behind. And the power of God has the power to cleanse you. And the Spirit of God is speaking to you today, and he's telling you, forget the past. It's behind. The blood of Jesus can wash you clean as though you'd never sinned. That's the power of God. But I'm going to tell you, folks, it takes faith. You've got to put your faith in Jesus Christ, who is able to wash you clean. But some say amen to that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Here's something else you've got to forget. You also have to forget the good things of the past. What pastor? What are you saying that for? Well, here's the thing. And I ask people, uh, talk about... Talk about what God has done in your life. For most people, most Christians, they got to reach back 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago because God has not done anything in their life recently. And it's not God's fault. Is it for so many of us, we're living off the past and we're not looking forward to what God wants to do in our lives today? Janet, Denny, Deb, did God do something fantastic in your life these last few weeks? It was absolutely stunning. So if I'm going to ask them, what's God doing in your life? They're not going to be reaching back to 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. They're going to be reaching back to last week. How far back do you have to reach so that you can tell me what Jesus is doing in your life? Forgetting what is in the past. What's God doing now? Paul says in the past, he says, I was the best. But he says, I, you know what he says? Here's what it says in the original language. He says, all the great things that I did, all my great ability, my great uh, credentials, he says, I count that all as dung. Does anybody know what dung is? Any farmers here? That's what comes out of the backside of a horse. He says, I, so that's what I count it. I just count it all as dung. It doesn't even mean anything. What matters to me now is what Jesus is doing in my life right here, right now. And I'm going forward with that. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's what it means to win. And he goes on to say this, I look forward to what lies ahead. And he talks about eternal life. Look what it says here in, in Philippians chapter 3, 18 to 20. He says, For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many who conduct, uh, show, whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. Now Paul's talking about people who are in church. He says, they're not, they're not following Christ. Here's what, they, here's, here's what he says. He says, they're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. And here it is, ready? So my grandma used to keep saying to me over and over and over again, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. We, we have a hard time serving God here in North America, folks. Because we, quite frankly, like to be citizens here in Canada. We like it. In fact, we like being citizens of North, in North America more than we like being citizens of heaven. Let's just be honest about it. But Paul says we're not citizens of this earth. We're citizens of heaven. 
Look, you and I need to be looking forward to that day when we stand before Jesus. And I can tell you, anybody knows me, you know that more than anything else, I want to hear Jesus say to me, Alan, well done, good and faithful servant. You and I need to understand that serving God is, in fact, our first priority. Can I just let you in on a little secret here? Just before we were getting ready to go to Burundi, uh, we weren't getting our visas. And the guy down east told us, uh, you're probably not going to get your visas. And, uh, you know, to be, to, we're just going to be totally honest. I'm going to show you just how, you know, how uh, much our feet, maybe our whole legs are legs of clay. We were kind of glad to hear that there's a good chance that we wouldn't be going to Burundi because we were tired. We worked hard. We wanted to have the summer off. And God did a miracle. And we got our visas, which they told us we weren't going to get. And someone said, hallelujah. We weren't really saying that. (laughs) We were saying, oh, well, I guess this is what God wants us to do. I think Deb was the only one who was like, yay. Denny was scared of snakes. Which is hilarious because we went to 11 different churches and they were like, were like in the middle of the, for lack of a better word, jungle. It's not really a jungle, but just, you get the point. And the whole time, uh, I'm thinking to myself, oh God, don't let any snakes come out. Oh God, don't let any snakes come out. And then I was talking to Janet. She said she was thinking the same thing and praying the same thing. And then we had talked to Denny about it. He goes, I forgot all about the snakes. <laughs> God called us to go to Burundi, and, uh, and Janet, can I share this? We touched down at the airport in Burundi. We're not even out of customs yet. We're still getting our bags, and Janet says to me, I don't think I'll ever be coming back here. We haven't started the missions trip yet. <laughs> and it's, I mean, I felt the same. It's hot, and it's muggy, and, and it's like, oh, God, what do you want to do? Well, we went. We went to do what God had called us to do. You see, this is the win. The win is every time you do God's will, every time you do what Jesus has called you to do, every time you say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. And we're already, the four of us are already talking about when we're going back and when that's going to happen. You see, that's the win. We're doing the work that God has called us to do, not the work that we want to do. Going to the places God has called us to go rather than the places we want to go. You see the difference? The win is knowing Christ, knowing his will, knowing his purpose for your life. That's where the joy comes in. That's where the the sense of satisfaction comes in. That's where the sense of fulfillment comes from. And for so many of us, we have believed what our culture has told us will give us fulfillment and satisfaction. And we found every single time that it doesn't work. But every time you do the will of God, you will discover your heart filled with joy, with satisfaction. And I'm going to tell you, they worked us hard, didn't they? They worked us so hard. I mean, we, we got off the plane. It's seven hours ahead. I have no idea what time of the day or night it is in Canada time. All I know is that I've got one day to get it together to be prepared to start teaching on the Tuesday. We arrived late Sunday night. I think I slept all day Monday and tried to do some study. Got up early, early. I mean, the thing started at 8 in the morning. So we were up at, I don't know, 6, 6.30 to go. And I have no idea if I even slept. And then had to teach uh, all day, literally all day from 8 to, until 4. 
And, and God, where am I going to get the strength from? And God comes in powerfully, mightily. That's the win. Every time you and I say, God, yes, I'm going to do what you want me to do. Not what I want to do, but what you want me to do. And then Paul says this, I press on. I, pre- I love that. <laughs> Can you put that verse back up again, please? He says, I press on. I don't back off. I don't quit. I persevere. Can I just share with you an expression that they use in the southern states? It's a ter- Has anybody heard the t- phrase true grit? It's a southern American, South, not, not southern American, South American. It's in the south of America, <laughs> if that makes sense. They use that term all the time. And here's what it means. It means strength of mind and the courage to see through one's convictions, even in the face of strong adversity. It suggests a person with passion and, and a strong, forceful, unrelenting spirit. That's what, that's what Paul says is true Christianity. I'm pressing on. I don't care if, I don't care if no one else comes with me. I'm, I'm moving on with Jesus. I'm holding true. I'm, hold, I'm hanging on. Even my friends don't follow me. My friends don't follow Christ. I'm following Christ. No matter what, I am, I'm, going to, I'm going to make it. This is what Paul's saying. I'm pressing on. You know, not that long ago, I had a pastor who was angry at me because at his church, they were having a special conference, and it was called something like Fulfill Your Dreams in the Lord or something like that. You, it's something about your, having your dreams come true. And I said, I'm, I'm not interested. No offense, but I'm not interested. And he didn't ask me why. He just got angry at me. And I just said, I, I, I'm not interested. Here's why, and I'll tell you why. Because we have this, we have this, uh, <laughs> we have this notion or this idea that God wants us to pursue our dreams. Can I tell you, this is a, a relatively new phenomenon especially in the world of Christianity, because there's nowhere, are you ready for this? There's nowhere in the Bible that says that God wants you to fulfill your dreams. Does that come as a shock to you? Nowhere is this, and yet you're going to hear it from almost every pulpit. God wants you to fulfill your dreams. Nowhere does it say that in the Scripture. God God wants you to fulfill your destiny and to follow your visions and your longings. It's not in the Bible. That's not a biblical idea. I mean, we have a whole generation of narcissists who believe that what matters most is that their dreams come true. This is not biblical. Jesus on the Mount of Ascension, just before he went back to heaven, he did not stop to sing a song to his disciples. Somewhere over the rainbow. He didn't do that. He did not instruct them to find themselves or to follow their dreams or to follow their passions or to succeed, or to pursue their goals and their desires. Here's what Jesus called them to do. Are you ready for this? Because this is the win. This is how you win in life. This is how you overcome the many battles that you will face. It's literally getting your focuses off of yourself and your own battles and getting your focus onto Jesus Christ. This is how you begin to win. So Jesus does not tell us to follow our dreams. Rather, he calls us, ready for this? This is going to shock you. You ready? He calls you to obey. I thought everybody was going to erupt with applause and say, thank you, Jesus, for this great teaching. 
He's called us to obey. To obey him. To do what he wants you to do. Not to pursue what you want to do. And there's a big difference. Some people believe that, well, you know, if I just go and do whatever, whatever I want to do, then the Spirit of God's going with me, and that somehow sanctifies what I'm doing. I mean, I don't know. I mean, this is really twisted kind of Christian logic. The fact of the matter is, is that God calls us to obey Jesus Christ, to do what he says, to believe him and do what he says. In fact, this is the definition of faith, right? To believe God and do what he says. I mean, if you look at, at uh, Hebrews chapter 11, you look at all these famous people in the Scripture that we all know about, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, and all the prophets, and Moses, and Joshua. Every one of them was not off in the pursuit of his own dreams. He was out on the pursuit of one thing, and that's to obey God. And God's called it righteousness. He attributed this obedience to them as righteousness. That's the win. I was, uh, I was thinking about this. You and I are called to obey Jesus to do his will, but there's a new kind of Christianity in North America today. And it goes like this. When you pray, pray like this. My kingdom come. My will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the new Christianity. That God is somehow my personal genie who will make all my dreams come true. I'm going to tell you there's nothing. It's, this, this borders on blasphemous, if not it is, in fact, blasphemy. You and I are called to be like Jesus who says, yes, Lord, I'll do your will, whatever it is that you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be the person you want me to be. I was amazed at the pastors in Burundi. There's a signs and wonders festival that was happening, happening at exactly the same time. So here we have, have rented this little room in this hotel, this Source de Nil, big enough for 120 pastors, and we had full house. And I thought for sure that with the signs and wonders festival, that's what they called it, happening at the, at the stadium, with thousands and thousands of people where there was the promise of people being healed and people having demons cast out, so on and so forth, that nobody, none of these pastors would show up for the pastor's conference. In fact, I remember that was the first thing. We got out of the airport, then Delson tells us, oh, by the way, there's another conference in town. I thought, what? Why would you, why would you schedule a pastor's conference at the same time as a signs and wonders conference? He didn't say anything, didn't answer. It's typical Delson. And I thought, okay, God, I don't know. Hope that somebody shows up. We talked to the pastors afterwards, and this is what we discovered. They said, we have this kind of thing happening all the time. And these people go forward. They ask Jesus into the heart, and three days later, it's over. And they report thousands, 5,000 came to Christ. But nobody comes to church, and nobody follows God. And these pastors, they understood there's something far more important than just signs and wonders. It's called discipleship and learning how to do the will of God every time. That's the win. When you and I say, Lord, you are going to be my number one obsession. 
Lord, I want to do your will, and I want to do your will alone. God, I understand I'm a citizen of heaven. I understand, Lord Jesus, that this world is not my home. I'm passing through. I want to close with this. Very, very, very poignant illustration. Some of you know that in the Middle East right now, Christians are being persecuted in a way that they haven't been persecuted for over 700 years. And this young Christian woman in Egypt, she tells Americans not to pray for the persecution to end. Did you hear that shocking statement? She tells Americans, do not pray for persecution to end. She says, God's plan for the Middle East is working perfectly. Even though the persecution of Middle Eastern Christians is seemingly getting worse by the day, don't pray for the end of persecution. She says the persecution is getting worse and worse. But on the other hand, actually, what has encouraged me, encouraged my faith, encouraged my church, encouraged everybody Christian in the region, watch this, is that the church is increasing. In the midst of this severe persecution, the church is increasing. And she explained that while some radical Muslims are brutally killing and persecuting so-called non-believers and claim to be acting in the name of Allah, many other Muslims in the Middle East are starting to open their eyes and ask serious questions about the religion that they espouse. Listen to this. She says, a lot of Muslim people now, they are so confused about what is going on. A lot of them are asking, who is this God whose name is Allah who orders people to slaughter? They're confused, and they're asking and wondering nowadays about ISIS and about what is going on. And as a consequence, many of them are giving their lives to Jesus Christ. My dear brothers and sisters, what's the win? Get your focus off of your problems, off of your life. Get your eyes onto Jesus and start saying to the Lord, yes. I'm ready to do your will. I'm ready to do what you tell me to do. I'm willing to to submit and to surrender to you, Lord. Because, God, I understand this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me, please? Lord, we are living definitely living in the last days we recognize god that the way things are going in this world it can't go on much longer and so we together join together for worship in this place and we are reminded god of what our values are and how we are different from the world this is one of the reasons we come together as a church and so god as we as we stop to consider for a moment the way of our culture, and we stop to consider whether or not our culture is overwhelming us and whether or not we are of our culture, we ask God for the grace, the power, and the strength to examine our lives and to get our lives in line with you, O God. Because we want to win. And we know the only way that we can win is doing what the Apostle Paul tells us to do 
forgetting what is behind, looking forward and pressing on to an eternity with Jesus. That's our win. That's our goal. And God, until that day when we leave this earth, we pray for the grace, the wisdom, the strength, the power, the anointing to know Jesus with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so we thank you today, God, for your presence here. We thank you for what you want to do in the hearts of your people because we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And we pray that in your name. Everybody said it with me? Tell the person beside you, you're more than a conqueror through Christ.